night. I uh, really glad, really thankful, not just because I'm always thankful, but thankful that that Bishop's here. I um, some of the things that I'm feeling, I I uh, wasn't too sure about. <laughs> to be honest, about sharing them even without Elder here. Um, just won't try to explain that, but so I'm just glad, Bishop, that you're here. Uh, if you have your Bibles, look quickly at Jeremiah chapter 17. Jeremiah was a, was a prophet to the children of Israel. I'm sure you all, all already know that. Jeremiah chapter 17 and verse 7 says this. It says, Blessed is the man that trusteth in the Lord and whose hope the Lord is. Amen. I've, I've found that to be true in my life. I'm, I am blessed every day that I trust in the Lord and don't lean on my own understanding. And I have a hope. I have a peace in him. Verse 8 says, For this is speaking of the man that trusts in the Lord, the, the woman who trusts in the Lord. He shall be as a tree planted by the waters, and that spreadeth out her roots by the river, and shall not see when heat cometh, but her leaf shall be green, and shall not be careful in the year of drought, neither shall cease from yielding fruit. I read that a few days ago, and, and just stood out to me so much that that statement that shall not be careful in the year of drought. And the way that I understand that is, is that you don't have to be, you don't have to be sparing in, in, in your drawing of, of the water. If you're planted there by a river, it might be, might be a year of drought, but you don't have to be conservative still with your, with your intake. God will supply. He will he'll keep you yielding much fruit. But then verse 9 says that the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Who can know it? My heart is my heart is deceitful. I don't like to I don't like to admit that sometimes, but it's it's one of those things that keeps me constantly running to the foot of the cross, constantly running to a place of prayer, staying, trying to stay in the secret place, the most high, and pulling from his wisdom, not my own, knowing that I'm easily deceived if I give in to the desires of my heart. And we don't want to be deceived, amen? There's de- deception brings, brings destruction, Deception brings a falling away, and we see that here begin to happen with, with Israel. Um, the Lord just begins to talk about some things that he's trying to set them in their place, trying to, trying to correct some things. And uh, if you'll turn with me, I wanted to just start there in, in those verses in chapter 17, because it's a little less familiar, but then if you'll jump over to chapter 18, Jeremiah Chapter 1, I'm going to read quickly a, a few verses here. Uh, and I know this is it's, it's somewhat more familiar, but uh, just, just hear, hear the word of the Lord. Verse 1 says, The word which came to Jeremiah from the Lord, saying, Arise and go down to the potter's house, and there I will cause thee to hear my words. Then I went down to the potter's house, and behold, he wrought a work on the wheels. And the vessel that he made of clay was marred in the hand of the potter. So he made it again another vessel as seemed good to the potter to make it. That vessel, for whatever reason, got spoiled in his hands. It got got messed up to the point of what we would say no return but in the hands of the potter, he, he had the ability to, to start over. And he had the ability to, to rework that vessel, that pot that was, that was messed up, that was too far gone, 
to be used for its intended purpose in the state that it was in. But of course, it, here, as, as the Lord is bringing attention to you in the hands of the potter, it could be remade for something that seemed good to the potter, something that was, that was useful for the potter. Uh, verse, verse 5 says, Then the word of the Lord came to me, saying, O house of Israel, cannot I do with you as this potter? Can I not reshape you? Can I not reform you? Can I not restructure you into something, something that's good in my eyes? Can I not do this with you, saith the Lord? Behold, as the clay is in the potter's hand, so are you in mine hand, O house of Israel. Man, I believe that believe this is, is true for us today as well. If if we will yield to to the hands of the potter, believe that we are in his hands, in his shaping, in his plan, in his in his process. And this this question that the Lord asks. I feel is is important though for us here tonight is cannot I do cannot I do with you as the potter if you're marred if you're if you're in a state that is not good in the eyes of the potter can he shape you can he press you back on the wheel maybe smash you flat <laughs> take the shape out of you take the Take the identity out of you that you know or that you have known and make you into something new. Can he do that with you? Hopefully the answer is yes. <laughs> I, I believe that as Paul said, I die daily. I think this is a part of that, that dying daily is willing to, just like we die daily by putting ourselves on the altar I think it's the same sense of putting ourselves on the potter's wheel. If we don't daily do that, then we become a hard vessel that thinks that we can just do it on our own. We think we can, as Elder said on Sunday, take it from here. I've, I've got this figured out now. I'm, you know, I've, I've been used to pour some things enough times to know how it works, to know what the process is, and so... Even though there's still some nicks in me, some cracks, some things that aren't perfect, I, I can take it from here. And if we're not careful, that can become our, our attitude. Uh, verse 7, at what instant I, where, where were we here? He's saying, cannot, cannot I do with you in the same way? And then verse 7, at what instant I shall speak concerning a nation? This is the Lord speaking. And concerning a kingdom to pluck up and to pull down and to destroy it. If that nation against whom I have pronounced turn from their evil, then I will repent of the evil that I thought to do unto them. And when I read this the other day, I couldn't help but think of Jonah and, and Nineveh being, being sent by the Lord to, to these people that were heathens. And the Lord said, I'm going to destroy them. I'm, I'm going to do this. And so Jonah, he still didn't want to go, and you know the story, he, he went the opposite way, eaten by a big fish, and then brought, brought right, right to the shores of, of Nineveh, but then he was like, okay, well, at least I'll get it over with, and then God will just wipe them out, because that's what the Lord said he's going to do, he's going to just wipe them out, but they repented. Which Jonah, I find it so amazing. Jonah went with a word from God, but didn't expect the people to respond. He didn't expect them to change. And so, of course, when they did, he was, he was mad at God. It's like, God, I thought you were going to wipe them out. You are going to take care of them. So that's what the Lord is saying here. If a nation against whom I've pronounced, if they turn from their evil, then I can repent of what I've said that I was going to do to them. And then I can, I can change direction and do, do for good. 
In verse 9, he goes on, though, and says, At what instant I shall speak concerning a nation and concerning a kingdom to build and to plant it. So he's saying, if I speak good things, if I say I'm going to build this kingdom or this nation up, or if I'm going to plant it and cause it to produce, if I say that, but then verse 10, if it, if it do evil in my sight, that it obey not my voice, then I will repent of the good. What's he saying? He's saying, I will change my mind. I can, I can change the direction that I was going with that nation if they choose to do evil in my sight. That they obey not my voice, then I will repent of the good wherewith I said I would benefit them. And I believe that this, this is true of, of nations as it is for individuals. It's, it wouldn't be fair, or, or I don't think the principle would stand if it was only applied to nations, but people could get, get by Scott free, and God said, you know, well, you, you keep doing evil, but I said this is going to do this good thing for you, so even though you've continued to do evil, I'm still going to do it. No, I believe that if we continue, just like the Bible says, if we continue in sin, thinking that grace will abound, that's not the... That's not the way it's intended to work. Verse 11 says, and I'm getting to, we're getting somewhere. Verse 11 says, now therefore go to speak. The Lord is just telling Jeremiah all this to, to relay to the, to the children of Israel. It says, now go, go therefore to speak to the men of Judah and to the inhabitants of Jerusalem, saying, thus saith the Lord, Behold, I frame evil against you and devise a device against you. Return ye now, everyone, from his evil way and make your ways and your doings good. So he's telling them, repent, change direction, change your course, and, and things will be all right. If you just change your direction, if you just decide to, to humble yourselves by this word of the Lord and and go the way that the Lord is speaking. And watch this. I'm so amazed. I've read this chapter so many times and it's such a familiar passage, but I've never seen this response here of the children of Israel. Verse 12. And they said, there is no hope. said, but we will walk after our own devices. <laughs> almost, I, I, when I read this the other day, I, I almost couldn't believe it. I still can't really believe it. They said, there is no hope. We will walk after our own devices. We will, everyone, do the imagination of his evil heart. Remember, we read in chapter 17 that the heart is deceitful and wicked. Who can know it? He, he told them that, and, and they even, they know it. <laughs> they know that it's evil. They know that it's wicked. They know that the devices are, are their own will. Um, and I, I was reading this in a few other translations, and the NLT says it this way. The people replied, and they said, don't waste your breath. We will continue to live as we want. To st we will continue to live as we want to, stubbornly following our own evil desires. So this is what the Lord said. Has anyone ever heard of such a thing? It even shocked the Lord. He was like, has anyone heard such a thing? Even among the pagan nations? There was no precedent for this kind of response from the people that I believe it even dumbfounded the Lord of, what do you mean? There's no hope. You're just going to continue in your own way after what I just told you. Of, and we, we skipped a bunch, but the Lord also says some, some things that he's going to do to them. And somehow, some way, they got to a place of contentment doing their own thing. Contentment in doing the things that were pleasing to them. And 
what I find so amazing is if, if we kind of flip this perspective of a little bit and think about Jeremiah as a, as a prophet, as a, as a preacher, so to speak, in that day, if, if I was Jeremiah, I think that would be the day I, I probably would, would retire. <laughs> I'd probably, you know, hang up, the, hang up the cloth, so to speak, and say, Lord, I think I'm done. <laughs> If that's, if that's going to be their response, if, if I just received this word from you that was so clear about them being on the potter's wheel and cannot I do with you in this same way as the potter did, and, and then that's their response, there is no hope. We're going to just do our own thing. And Jeremiah, he did have a little bit of a conversation with the Lord, uh, which I'm going to read really quickly. In chapter 20, and he goes on, he gets more words from the Lord and talks about this, this vessel, this pot, potter's vessel that the Lord prophesies some more things to Israel and says, if you don't do this, you're going to be like this vessel that's going to be broken. It's going to be thrown down and be broken. And then this is Jeremiah's response to the Lord. He says, oh, Lord, thou hast deceived me. Actually, sorry, let's jump, jump up a little bit. This is chapter 20, verse 1. Now, now, Peshurun, Peshur, not sure how to say that name, son of Emer, the priest in charge of the temple of the Lord, heard what Jeremiah was prophesying. So he arrested Jeremiah the prophet and had him whipped and put in stocks at Benjamin Gate of the Lord's temple. Now he, got, he goes from not only not being listened to, to, to being beaten and to being thrown into, into prison in the stocks. And if, if, he didn't, if he didn't give up and quit the you know, preaching at the first response, I think at this point I would, if I was Jeremiah, I would probably for sure throw in the towel. <laughs> like, Lord... There's no hope for these people. Now I'm, I'm going to take their advice and quit wasting my breath. <laughs> and then Jeremiah, he begins to talk to the Lord later in that chapter, verse 7. He says, O Lord, thou hast deceived me, and I was deceived. Thou art stronger than I and hast prevailed. I am in derision daily. Everyone mocketh me, for since I spake, I cried out, I cried violence and spoil because of the word of the Lord was made a reproach unto me and a derision daily. Then I said, so now watch, Jeremiah, this is, this is his thought process. He says, I will not make mention of him nor speak any more in his name. He's deciding my prophet days are over. The people aren't listening anyway. They're beating me. It's no use. But his, the, then the, the Bible goes on to say, and Jeremiah goes on to say, but his word or the words of the Lord was in mine heart as a burning fire shut up in my bones. And I was weary with forbearing and I could not stay. He, he thought that he could he thought he could stop living in his, his God-given purpose of, of being a prophet because he wasn't seeing the results that he expected to see. And he'd been through, and there's so much that we skipped over about the people conspiring against him and saying we're going to try to frame him and all these, all these things. You'll, you just have to go back and read it, chapter, chapter 18 and 19. All these things, and he finally decides, okay, I'm just going to not say anything. But then the pain of, of holding his, his words, the pain of not speaking was greater, apparently, than the pain of even being beaten and thrown in prison because he said, it's like a fire shut up in my bones and, and I can't not speak. I can't not speak to these people. Regardless of their response, I have a responsibility of the Lord to open my mouth. To let, some, to let some words out 
to a people that might have a, a hardness of heart, that might have decided they're going to continue in their own way and, and do their own thing. But that fire that was shut up in his bones was greater than the opposition of the people. It was greater than the lack of response of the people. And I, uh, you know, I think of this in, in a couple different ways. One, I don't want to be a people like the people that Jeremiah was speaking to that causes, you know, Jesus speaks of it in the New Testament that, that they, them and the people and their fathers, they killed the prophets because this was their response to, to the prophetic words that were going forth of, you know, Jesus saying, I want to put you on the potter's wheel. I want to continue to shape you. You've, you've went and started serving idols. You've started doing these other things and and so this is why he had to continually put them back into captivity, back into bondage time and time again. Because he loved them too much to just destroy them. So he said, okay, I'm going to put you in this place of, you're not going to be on my potter's wheel, but I'm going to put you in this place of pressure. This place of trial and difficulty to where you'll then cry out to me. No matter what, he has to be our, he has to be the one that we turn to. And I would much rather it be when his word comes and says, hey, I want to put you on the potter's wheel. It might not be comfortable. It might not be the most pleasant thing, but I promise you it's going to be a lot more pleasant than if we don't go with his process. The, the scripture also says in the New Testament of we can either fall upon the rock or have the rock fall upon us, grind us like powder. Neither one are very comfortable. <laughs> Neither one are very ideal. But the ultimate plan and goal of God is for us to be shaped and molded in his image. For us to be vessels that he can use to, to flow through, to pour out things to people and I know this kind of a lot of things kind of all over the place but what it what it makes me think of in this hour with especially so much of what Bishop and even conversations with my dad have been talking about just the the call to witnessing to to people I I want to have this resolve and determination in myself that no matter their response, no matter what they, you know, may throw in my face, which in most cases is not going to be <laughs> anything like Jeremiah faced. Most cases, it might just be, eh, not interested, will be kind of the extent of, of the persecution <laughs> that we face. But I wonder what it takes for the words of the Lord to become like a fire shut up in my bones that I get to this point of, man, God, there's people out there that are broken vessels. There's people out there that are, that are just a bunch of clay pots that are trying to do things their own. And maybe it's me. Maybe I'm the one that's supposed to come and open my mouth and speak to them. And I would even change that to say not just maybe, but absolutely it's you. Absolutely it's you and I that should open our mouth and speak. But I, I really believe part of, part of what causes that, that fire to be kindled in our bones that gets us to a point where we can't keep our mouth shut is us being willing to be on the potter's wheel. Us being willing to go through the process ourselves, saying, hey, I'm not perfect. I don't have this all figured out. But this is what God's doing in my life. This is the things that I've been brought through, been brought out of, whatever it may be. I'm not who I used to be. I'm still a vessel that's in progress, that's on his, his wheel. But there's some things that I can share with you that I think would maybe benefit your life. That would change the trajectory of, of your life. Man, I want to 
do whatever it takes to get that fire from the altar in my mouth, in my bones, in my heart, so that I can't keep my mouth shut. So I can't see people that are lost and, and not speak. Amen. Bishop? Thank you, Brother Hart. I always enjoy your teaching immensely. And Elder Flowers. John chapter 12 at verse 24. Strong-willed, what? Strong-willed, I don't know, you ever heard that used? Child. That's a strong-willed child. <laughs> if, if you've been a parent, or you will be a parent, you will experience and probably use that statement sometime. Strong-willed. We have a will. It's a part of our being. It's a part of our makeup. It's what I want to do. It's what I want to do. It's my will. It's my way. And every one of us starts that way. And every one of us probably for a season continues in that way. And we can finish that way. Unless we have an encounter with the Lord. Because when we have an encounter with the Lord, it's like what was spoken. God's desire is, I want to make you. I see you and I want to fashion you after my liking, my wishes, my purpose, my desire, my plan. All those things. But he has to bump. He bumps up against what? Our will. The will of man. Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a corn of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abideth alone. But if it die, it bringeth forth much fruit. That's it in a nutshell. Except my life come to... Now, I'm not expected to die to the place of being buried. But a dying out is what the Apostle Paul spoke of. I die daily. Uh, if we will lose our life for his sake... Not just lose it to lose it, lose it for his sake, then we will find it. In other words, the life that follows that will be a real, genuine, fruitful, God-ordained, God-purposed life. But in our youth, we're filled with ambition. As we... Age, still early in life, that ambition sometimes becomes stronger. You know, when you're young enough, you really, you don't, you don't know enough to know what the future ha uh, holds. You may speculate, you may plan, you may, uh, you know, you s 
the, the little boy sees the fireman and he wants to become a fireman. Astronaut. Well, I don't know how many astronauts, but anyway, yes. Bonnie Dunbar from Sunnyside, she wanted to be an astronaut and became one. Well, so these things are all driven by ambition, so to speak. Ambition is not an unhealthy thing, but when it comes into an encounter with God, it is good when my ambition transitions. As I recognize his desire to lead me, to direct me, I allow it. I become the moldable clay on the potter's wheel rather than harden my surface, harden my heart, dig my feet in and say, this is what I want to do. I remember youth long enough ago that I didn't know what I wanted to do. People would ask you, what do you want to do when you grow up? I don't know. I'm only eight. How can I know? And then when you were 12, you know, you're approaching, not manhood, you're approaching 13. But what do you want to do? What do you want to be? What do you, you know, still, you know. I think I was probably in my early 20s when I even thought I had an indicator. And then because of the path of life and jobs, anybody know the Knoll Canning or the Knoll Corporation here in town? Knoll Corporation owns Pepsi-Cola. They have three or four Pepsi-Cola franchises. At one time, they had three television stations. They had no foods. They had no computers. They had 19 companies in a corporation. And I worked for one of them because they bought a company that I worked for. And because they begin to place me in situations, they said, hey, you're good at this. Why don't you go consider doing this? And so they gave me a car and a credit card, and off I went. And, you know, so now I'm, you know, traveling the world, first class on Alaska Airlines in a, in a new Ford Tempo. Anybody remember that car? Don't ever buy one. A f it, it was a four-cylinder motor in a heavy little car. And so anyhow... I remember trying to feel my way, where's this heading me? Because I started learning things because of my job and all of my travel. And eventually I started several businesses. And I thought this, you know, was my trajectory. But in that process, early in that process, I'd received the Holy Ghost was baptized in Jesus' name. I was faithfully attending a church for 14 years before there was ever any discussion about ministry involvement or really surrendering my life. You know, I, I heard all these scriptures. Lose your life for his sake, then you'll find it. Except the corn of wheat fall to the ground and and die and and you you know you you hear them and you agree with them but practical application what do you mean give up what do you mean die what do you mean surrender i'm fighting for everything i got and if i don't fight i won't win that's the way of the world it is the way of the world i remember a specific I'm talking about me. I'm talking to you. Okay? You listen for the voice of the Lord in what you're receiving for you. I came to a juncture in my life where I was watching the other employees leave. 
the other sales reps, the manufacturer's reps, they were leaving because they were butting their head up against the will of the boss. And uh, I, I was hearing things like this and thought, well, I, you know, I, I don't, I'm not going to contend. And so in that process, the Lord dealt with me about it. He, he actually told me one time, you need to submit yourself to your boss. He said, I'll turn the company around, but you submit yourself to your boss. And that was a two-year process of really understanding what he was expecting of me. And in the end, it was, I'm expecting you to become nothing here, but serve him, be his eyes and his ears in the marketplace, forget about your own ambition. Now, the Lord never just came out and said that, but that was, the, that was the story through the process of time. If you'll stop striving for what you want, I'll show you what I want. And I'll open the doors, and I will lead the way. Now, that all sounds great. That sounds like a great idea. But living it, it is a little bit more difficult. Nonetheless, it's absolutely the truth. You have to live long enough to realize how true it is. You see it in the examples of other lives, and you get to live it for yourself. See, you have to be brought to the place where you have something to be able to give it up. When you feel like you don't have nothing... Well, that's nothing. I can do that because I don't have nothing. But when you have something, I'm not going to, you fill in the blanks what something is. And you realize that God is leading you down a road. He wants you to surrender your life to him, not just in service, but surrender your life to him because he has an end game. There, you know, we talk about people in the waiting. We talk about souls in the waiting. Brother Hart mentioned soul winning or witnessing, witnessing to people. My recent engagements and involvements has a lot of this, a lot of this going on every day. And what I have realize that in the process there's something I have to push through every single time it's disqualifying an individual by what I see with my eye by what I see by what I hear come out of their mouth oh they're not going to be interested that's disqualifying them I picked up a Kenyan lady a week ago i don't know why i don't know what it was about you know her presentation or anything about it but i thought i, I was tired and i thought i don't know i i don't know if i'm going to give her a card i don't know if i'm going to open a conversation i just don't know Three-quarters way to where she was going, I finally pressed through that. And I was shocked at the response and the dialogue that took place only a matter of minutes. Sunday, she was in church. She wept. She prayed. She praised God all the way through the service. And I thought, I almost didn't say anything. Why? Maybe there was too much of me present. Maybe there wasn't enough fall to the ground and die. Maybe there was too much my will there present that day. In just that one encounter. 
it would be great if we could kind of just prove these things out like, you know, real quick. You know, in a couple of months. You know, let me, I'll go through it. Show me. And yeah, let's get to the other side of this and let's get it over with. Well, maybe it's that way for some. I don't know. But this is why we need to keep hearing the teaching. This is why we need to keep hearing the preaching and the exhortation to come to an end, to give up, to surrender, to lose. What is life like on the other side of all that? You don't know until you get there. And then get there again. And then it's not a one-time deal. It's a process of our lives surrendering again, surrendering, dying daily, Paul said. Dying daily, Paul said. Not, not my will, but thine be done. Not thy will, but not thine be done. Now, I can have a plan. I can have a projection of where I'm headed always running that through the filter of God's Spirit, His Word, always putting it before God. I I can remember a statement Brother Leslie made all the time. He had handguns. He liked guns. And he had a bunch of them. And he'd he'd tell us all, every once in a while, I just got to lay them out on the table and put them before the Lord and say, if you want them, take them. If you want me to give them up, I'm putting you first. Well, I don't think I don't think he ever got rid of any of them, but you knew when he was telling you he was honest in what he was saying. I only want the things that you want. I only want the things for my life that you want for my life. What if a change comes? unexpectedly I was in a meeting with brother William Sisko tremendous tremendous man of God and he was in the middle of speaking and all of a sudden the words that came out of his mouth got all twisted and confused and we looked at him and he looked at us he was having a stroke standing there while he was teaching in a meeting a manifest meeting and they, an ambulance came and got him and took him to the hospital. And, and Brother Cisco's life was changed from that moment forward. Now, that wasn't a punishment. It was an alteration. Have you heard the name Tony Bailey? Some of you have. Wrote the nautical hour, ministered on early morning prayer. Still does. He's still alive. He was in a meeting at Brother Joe Ellis's church in Canton, Ohio. In the middle of his teaching, he had a stroke. But he went into the hospital for two years. Now, he ministers differently. His engagement in the kingdom has changed. His life has been altered. That's like, you know, that clay being marred in the hand of the potter. God used him greatly. All those years leading up to that moment. But the way God wanted to use him from that moment forward... It changed, and he had to change with it. He had to, he had to take the journey. Do you hear the cry of the Lord for Israel? Why won't you let me do with you what I want to do with you? Like the clay in the hand of the potter. Joseph's life was altered. 
But now watch. When we consider the stroke, it looks like a downturn. It seems like a, you know, a problem came. Joseph had spent most of his life serving and slaving and imprisoned. But one day, it was time to turn the page. Knock at the jail cell. Probably not. Steal, probably. Get up. You've been called into the king's court, Pharaoh's court. And overnight, his life went from a cell to second to the governor, riding in the governor's chariot. The, the, the governor's robe on him. Authority in the land. Why? Because God's will for him had come to the point of alteration. He couldn't earn that. He couldn't achieve it. He couldn't do enough college for it. You're going to be educated. Just maybe not the way you think. You will become educated, believe me. Every year that passes by, different people God brings into your life, different desires to learn that he'll put upon you, and you will search. You know, I don't know where this fits, but it fits somewhere. We had a college recruiter come through the church years ago. Man, he did, he, did a good, he did a good presentation. So we went out to eat afterwards, and I, uh, I said to Brother Lester, do you think I should consider going to college? You know, I was accepted at two colleges, secular colleges, and my dad said he'd pay the bill, and I said, I ain't going back to school. I'm not a student. Not at that time in my life. Did not want to pursue upper education. And so now I, am, I have this situation presented, and I, I questioned. Well, so the answer was so interesting to me. He said, no. He said, you'll learn more here working with me. And the things that I see for you in your life and where God intends to take you, you would be better off here. Oh, okay, okay, I'll accept that answer. And did. I don't, I don't. What's the word? Help me. Any college graduates here? I don't resent the direction, the answer. I, I, in the least, now that I've lived out these years, my education was of a different sort. And then through the years, God put me in place with individuals that he wanted impacting my life and ministry because of my involvement in the kingdom and the church. We, we get overly excited at times and try to look too far ahead and make too many plans. Like, you know, he, he don't know where I'm at. He's lost track of me somehow. He hasn't lost track of anybody. He knew you before you were formed in your mother's womb. And so when, when a life is surrendered to him, we do that ongoing. We do that daily. Not my will, thine be done. I'm searching this now. I'm researching this now. But Lord, I'm putting it before you and I want your will. 
I've always claimed, look, I'm nobody from nowhere. I don't have a pedigree. There was nobody in the ministry before me. I don't have any of that. Never wanted it. Never wished for it. I'm happy to be me. I'm going to tell you about a letter I got one time. I got a letter from a man. And he said, I've put your name on a list. I'm interceding for you every day. There was a list of 10 people on the list. I haven't known the man very long. But God said, I mean, he said, God has dealt with me about you. And this guy and this guy and this guy. And so I am interceding for you every day. He was the vice president of J.C. Penney's Corporation. And I'm thinking, what is all this? I didn't ask for that. Here's what I'm telling you. God sees ahead. And he knows. And he brings in the variables that you'll never be able to put ducks in a row enough To make a plan for where you think he wants you to go. You can't do it. He will do it. When you become that corn of wheat that falls to the ground and dies and says, I surrender. I'm going to surrender up my will because I want. Your will. You understand it. You don't just die. You don't become a non-person. You don't become empty and a nothing. You ever watched? Just pay attention to this. You ever watch a young person and an old person step up to a counter? A medical counter. And the person on the other side of the desk speaks to the young person, but never speaks to the old person. The old person is the subject of the situation. Society tries, I don't even know why I'm telling you this. Society tries to make them a non-person. I've seen situations where it was all I could do not to step in and say, Hey, talk to the person. She's right there. She speaks English. She can talk to you. She's got a brain. But, you know, in God, we don't come to that place. Why do I feel like I'm trying to convince you of something that was already shared in the word of God? Do you believe this? It is absolutely the truth. Do you know that I have relations? I know people. Who walked the fence. Who. Never surrendered and went one way or the other. And I've watched their unfulfilled lives. Unfulfilled lives. Oh, they got money. Oh, they got properties. Oh, they got automobiles. Unfulfilled lives to this day. Because they never surrendered. They never surrendered. They never died out. To their own way. Their own will. It's the key. It is the absolute truth. And the key. (laughs) 
I don't, I don't know if I told you this. A man was in my car one day, and he asked me, he says, what's your biggest challenge in, you know, in your work in the church? He said, is it money? I said, no, quite the contrary. I said, my dad's got a, the cattle on a thousand hills. It put that guy right back in his seat. You know, he expected the cry of the church. We need more money. No, 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 no. God can provide for anything. 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 When you make him your source, you know how you make him your source? You acknowledge it with a tithe. You gave me 100%. I'm returning 10%. This is my acknowledgement to you that you are the source of the 100%. When you genuinely make him the source, he will, he will come through every time. Elder Hart, I enjoyed your teaching here so much. We stand together. I don't know about you, but I just feel the feel the flow of the Holy Ghost. Can we can we just respond to the Word for a few minutes without without rushing? And Jesus, we thank you, Father, for this Word that is so clear, so direct to us tonight, Father. That for us to lose our lives, for us to lose our will, to lose our identity. God, that we may be found in you, that Jesus, that our purpose would be found in you. God, that our calling would be found in you, Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Come on, why don't you just push push through your flesh a little bit tonight? In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. God, we want to push through that veil. We want to push through the veil, Jesus, of the flesh into the holy place where your glory would come down. The weight of your glory, Jesus, come upon us, I pray. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, let there be a yield and surrender, I pray, of every will, of every opinion, Jesus. I pray our opinions be given over to you, that we lose our opinions in your word, that we lose our opinions, God, to the directing of your spirit. In the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Jesus, 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 we long for your will. Jesus, we long for your leading. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Jesus, 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 Jesus. Not my will, God, but yours be done. Not my will, Father, but yours be done. Lord, we seek first your kingdom. Seek first the kingdom and your righteousness, O God. The name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. I trust that you know that this is a word that that we don't just 
pray through one time. It's been said multiple times tonight. This is it's an everyday thing, um, and I'm thankful for thankful for ministry like this and and for the Word of God that reminds us of these things. It's easy it's easy to just get caught up in life and forget that it's His kingdom that's first. It's His will that comes first. Amen. I. Man, needed to hear this tonight. Man, we just take this word throughout our lives. <laughs> Man, apply it every day. Thank you all for being here. Remember, keep the youth in prayer this week. Um, God's going to do great things there, I believe. And uh, so keep them in prayer. Man, we'll see you all. See you guys Saturday morning for prayer.